Well, good morning. Good morning to our guests, these four people here. Um, let's start with the word of prayer, and we'll go from there. Gracious Lord, thank you for gathering us here in your church. Thank you for giving us the ability to be here. Lord, we pray that um, this Sunday school and this church service will be edifying to us, that we would grow in grace, and uh, that we would exalt your name. Blessed be your name. Amen. So I want to start off by thanking all the other men that came before me, because uh, you don't really realize what people have to go through to what they give us until you walk a mile in their shoes. So I'm very thankful for you guys. Um, which brings me to one of my, this guy that um, I'm doing my biography on. One of my favorite things about him is that he walked many miles in shoes throughout Great Britain. And very awesome thing. Um, I wanted to start by giving some quotes from him because to give a taste of who he was as a guy. Because he has a bunch of quotes like, in this biography. And there's like a whole entire section devoted to all his quotes that he had. And they were known as the fiery arrows because they were like very, sna uh, like very snarky, very cunning. And, um, and here's, um, here's one of them. My goal is God himself, not joy, nor peace, nor blessing, but thee. That's, that's what his goal was. That's what drove him. That's what inspired him to get up in the mornings and do everything that he did, because he did a lot. And another one of his ambitions that he said after ask, being asked as a young man, what, what is, what's your ambition in your, in your life? And he said, my main ambition in my life is to be on the devil's most wanted list. After, after pretty much reading a scripture of... Uh, where the Pharisees were casting out demons, and the demons were like, Jesus we know, and Paul we know, but who are you? And the point of that, his, that quote was, to be so dangerous as a Christian in this world that the demons even know your name, that you're on the most wanted list. Um, another quote, a man who is intimate with God never needs to be intimidated by men. So this, this was a man that was very intimate with God, had a very loving relationship with God. Um, I want to give some quotes from other people. You guys know Paul Washer? Nobody? A.W. Tozer? Okay, so Paul, Paul Washer, this is what he said. I was introduced to him at the very beginning of my Christian pilgrimage, and the impact of his life upon mine remains unto this day. He lived as one who dwelt in the shadow of the Almighty and preached as one sent from God. He knew God's presence, wore his mantle, bore his burdens, and spoke his truth. He was the rarest of commodities in his days and in ours. He was a man of God. And elsewhere he said, I would take one of him over 20 dead Calvinists. Like spiritually dead Calvinists. So the Calvinists that are this head knowledge and don't have it in anywhere else in their lives. Adobe Tozer. Those who know of him recognize in him the religious specialty. The man sent from God to battle the priests of Baal on their own mountaintop, to shame the careless priests at the altar, to face the false prophet, and to warn the people who are being led astray by him. Such a man as this is not an easy companion. He insists on being a Christian all the time and everywhere. That marks him out as different. Why do we have men of such fiery swords as him? They are sick inside when they see the children of heaven acting like the sons of earth, to such men as these, the church owes a debt too heavy to pay. And I have the honor and privilege of introducing to you guys Leonard Ravenhill. 
Anybody ever hear of Leonard? No, nobody. Leonard Ravenhill. I think these three right here, they heard of him. Um, So who was Leonard Ravenhill? He was an evangelist. Um, That's, I would say that was his main focus in his life. He was an evangelist. He was a street preacher. He was an intercessor. He was a pastor. He was an author. He was a lecturer. He was an artist, a poet, and a hymn writer. Um, The year of his birth, he was born in June 18, 1907, in Great Britain, in uh, West Yorkshire. And uh, his parents were Lucy and Walter Ravenhill. Now, it's, it's really important to understand his, what his parents were, who they were as people, and his grandmother. Those are the three people that had a really big impact in his life as a child. Um, his mother uh, told him that after she gave birth, she laid uh, her hands on Leonard and was, prayed to God and said, Lord, make this boy a preacher or don't let him live. And then t- literally two hours after she gave birth, she went to a prayer meeting with baby Leonard. So how many of you guys can say that the first prayer meeting you attended was at two hours old? I can't. <laughs> what are, <yeah laughs> they were built differently back then. So, <laughs> um, so both Len, Len's mother and his grandmother were very devout Christians. Um, his, his grandmother would walk around the house all the time singing hymns. And it was later in Leonard's life that he realized she memorized the whole entire, pretty much the whole entire Methodist hymn book. She, was, she would always sing to him when they were going to sleep, his, his mother and his grandmother. Um, he would always remember his mother singing a hymn, uh, take time to be holy, speak oft with thy Lord, spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. So that's what he always remembered as a kid from his, both his mom and his grandmother. They were very devout Christian, always would pray, pray with Leonard, always would sing hymns to him, always would encourage him. Um, his father, Walter, was not a Christian uh, until he was about 35 years old. So later in Leonard's life, he was converted. Um, he was an al- his father was an alcoholic from age like 14 to 24, and he had a very heavy smoking habit. He had a big collection of pipes, and... Uh, he was converted by a preacher at a, like a revival setting, a preacher by the name of David Matthews. Um, and there he gave it all up. It was, it's actually kind of funny because after he was con- his father was converted, he threw away all his pipes that he had, everything. And Leonard came running. He's like, Mom, someone stole our pipes. And his mom was like, no, you know, your father is now a Christian. Which, yeah, teach their own. Um... <laughs> um his dad uh, would always, after his conversion, his dad became a very devout Christian. He would always take Len to meetings, to prayer meetings, um, like Salvation Army type, that pretty much would host prayer meetings and uh, street meetings, and they would preach all the time. Um, at age 14, he, w- he started, Leonard started attending prayer meetings with his father. And they weren't very, this regular prayer meetings, they were prayer meetings that lasted all night. And Leonard, Leonard Raven, after reflecting upon those prayer meetings, he's like, that's where people actually prayed. That's where you've seen the, their need. Um, so in ni- it was not until 1921, at age 14, that Leonard became a believer. And uh, he, did, he didn't, doesn't really speak much about his conversion, but 
he said his father had a very big impact in his conversion. Uh, he, when he saw his father you know, becoming a believer, he saw the devoutness of his father and seeing how his father would pray and would be with the Lord all the time, would spend, spend time in prayer, would go to church, go to prayer meetings. He's seen that, and he's like, I don't have that. And so his father was a big impact. There's actually a st- statistic that I looked up. Um, when a mother comes to Christ, her family will join her at church like 70% of the time. If the father of the household you know, is a Christian, his family would join him to church 90, 93% of the time. So father, their, fathers have a big impact on their children's future. Um, so after his conversion at age 14, um, he had a job at a uh, Burton's tailoring. He worked as a tailor. Um, and during, during his work as a tailor, he would uh, always take time on the Lord's Day to serve the Lord he would always go on Tuesday night meetings, and he would always go to street evangelism. Um, within two years of his conversion, he went up to his minister and said, Pastor, I've been a Methodist all my life. I'm 16 now, but I've never done anything for God, and we don't have a street meeting or do anything to care for the poor. Why don't we go into the streets and begin to witness? So age 16, he said that to his pastor, to let's start this ministry. Let's get going. So him and his eight friends, what they would do is they would go to... Uh, the streets, and they would have open-air meetings. They would uh, preach the gospel. They would go and witness to people. Um, and there's actually an interesting quote that Jonathan actually said. I mean, it's in the book, too. But he got arrested for street preaching for causing disturbance. And he's like, sir, today I stand in front of your judgment seat, but one day you'll stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ. <laughs> so, like I said, he was, he was very cunning and very snarky. <laughs> um, at age 20, he joined the ministry of Leeds. It's called like a holiness mission. And during this time, one of his friends gave him a biography from, by David Brainerd. You guys know David Brainerd? Yeah. Okay. And he said this book had a huge impact in his life. It changed his, it changed his life for his, in his prayer meeting, how he read scriptures. And it helped him in his walk. Um, so during his late teen years, it was a very solid section of growth and grace. His reading of scriptures and his prayer life was, was, grew consistently. And this, this, this part of his life like, set the foundation for the rest of his ministry. Um, he would actually go to the woods to spend time in prayer, to spend time in prayer. And one of his prayers was, Lord, you wept over Jerusalem, so I am asking you to give me tears. I want to be prepared to weep until you bring revival. Oh, Lord, just as you wept over Jerusalem, bring, please give me tears. Please don't let me die without seeing a Holy Ghost revival. So this is, this is what's, how, what kind of man he was. He was a man of prayer, a man of the word. Um, there was a turning point in his life. Uh, as 1930 arrived at age 23, he was very well established in his career as a tailor. Uh, his work in the International Holiness Mission was growing, and he felt very convicted to quit his job and um, go into full-time ministry. Um, he, he said that he, while, while at work, he, he was working, he felt, he felt God's voice saying, follow me. And uh, he stopped what he's doing and said, uh, Lord, I'll, I'll follow you. Not only will I not turn back, I won't even look back. So he said that out loud in front of everybody. So... <laughs> um, he then proceeded to apply to a college called Cliff College. It's located in Derbyshire, England. 
Um, it was known as a place of godliness, of a place of self-discipline for young men. He studied there for nine months under a guy named Samuel Chadwick. Um, and he stayed there for nine months, and he left in June of 1931, and he immediately went into full-time evangelism. And he worked with a guy named Maynard James and other, other men, too, at that holiness mission. So the International Holy Mission, he, he has two, two impacts in his life where he ministered. It was inter, in International Holiness Mission, and there was a Calvary Holiness Church. And these two, again, impacted his life and impacted his future ministries and other, and other areas of his life. So the International Holiness Mission, it was not a church or a denomination, but it was a society of, that promoted prayer and biblical holiness. Um, they would pretty much have meetings. They would uh, have like revival prayer meetings. People would come there. They would um, have a lot of conversions. They would set up new churches and that type of stuff. So they traveled like that. Um, one of the first churches that they established was in Bolton, Bolton, England. And that's where Ravenhill first became a pastor. He was an assistant pastor for Arthur Fawcett, but he only stayed there for one year. In 1937, right before he became an assistant pastor, he was uh, ordained or commissioned by the church uh, by a guy named George Sharpie, if I'm saying that right. A Scottish, he was a Scottish Methodist preacher. Um, Leonard later in his life came to believe that an ordination by men was not as important as having a true ordina ordination by God. He viewed that being truly sent by God was far more important than being sent by mere men. So if you're, he, he thought that if, you're, if your ministry is not blessed by God, if you're not sent by God, then being ordained by men is kind of, doesn't really matter. Um, so this is, this part of his life, he joined... His, um, his teacher in Cliff College had this vision that impacted him and all his friends that were in the International Holiness Mission. It was called, it's pretty much what he envisioned was a group of men, they would gather a wagon with them and they would just walk and they would have meetings. They would have, they would set up shop, they would start preaching the gospel, they'd have people come there, they'd have prayer meetings and they were called the Holiness Trekkers. Um, it's a Dutch word for Tramp, tramping, uh, to pretty much travel long distance, cross country by foot, uh, it pretty literally means to haul. Um, and I want to read uh, a part that kind of gives a background of what who they were as men. It's by the uh, the writer. The vision, as I see it, is to send forth teams of young men full of faith in the Holy Spirit, to preach Christ to multitudes who are unsought and unreached by the churches. They will receive no salary and will go forth as they are led. And will by faith, no, will by faith, no offerings will be taken, no subscriptions solicited, and no favors begged. They will walk from place to place, preaching, testifying, and singing in the streets, marketplaces, village, greens, and beaches, depending upon God for everything, and sleeping wherever they wherever, whatever shelter can be found. And so, that's what it was. Uh, I know if, if you guys know John Wesley, he pretty much, through England, rode on horseback. These guys, what they did, same thing pretty much, but they would go on foot. They would walk many miles in shoes across England. 
And it's, it's awesome because if, if you think about it, I get tired of walking in Greenville. <laughs> These guys would walk many miles nonstop for weeks. They would, they would literally come to a town, set up shop for three weeks, and preach the gospel preach the gospel, evangelize. And through these events, they pretty much would set up churches too. They would have a bunch of conversions and some of the men would stay back with, that, with those churches for a couple years, get them well established and then you know, they would continue on, the, on their way. Um, and that's, that's one of my favorite things about Leonard because he, he sacrificed a lot in his life for the gospel. Um, he ended up leaving International Holiness Mission along with three other men. Um, there was some drama, some conflict over the nature of spiritual gifts. Um, pretty much the International Holiness Mission, what they said was, they came out with a statement saying that they would pretty much prohibit the spiritual tongues. Um, Ravenhill along with three others did not claim to have that gift. But they, but they also believed that it was going beyond Scripture to just straight out prohibit it completely. Um, so they pretty much split from there, and it was him along with three others, and they started Calvary, Cal, Calvary Holiness Mission. Um, so that he, that's where he went after that. Um, and like I said, they would set up new churches all the time after you know, they had their meetings. And so that's where Leonard pretty much became a pastor. Um, he was a pastor in Bolton from 1931 to 1933. That was when he was an assistant pastor. At Old Men from 1933 to 1935. Um, I lost my notes. So pretty much he served at three other churches. I think it was like five to seven churches he served at as a pastor. And pretty much it was over... Uh, Total of seven churches for over 16 years he served as a pastor. Um, it was said that he couldn't last being a pastor long because people couldn't, couldn't stand being under his preaching for too long because it, it was very fiery, very... They would always feel like they were broken. That's what it was said of him. People would say that. Um, but the truth was that Len was a very loving. He had, very, he had a very pastoral heart towards the people of Christ. Um, but pastoral work for him, it was not his primary focus in life. He was very passionate about evangelism. That was his ultimate first call, and that was his permanent passion. Um, in, so he served at the Calvary Holiest Mission to about 1956. Um, around 1956, that's when the Calvary Holiest Mission, they decided to merge with the Church of Nazarene. Uh, so Leonard Ravenhill, along with three other men, they decided they didn't want to do that. Um, so they ended up starting their own independent missions, mission ministries. Um, so Leonard pretty much simply sensed that it was time to move on to go to go and do his own thing. Um, his ministry began to extend all over Britain, and it ended up going to North America as well. Um, there was a part in his life in, when he went to America to preach at A.W. Tozer's church, pretty much a meeting. And uh, while sleeping in his hotel with one of his uh, friends, companions that was with him, the hotel caught on fire. And so pretty much they were in there, like it was 3 o'clock in the morning, smoke is going. Leonard runs, grabs his companion, grabs his companion from, the, from his room. They both jump out the third story window 
Yeah, <laughs> third story window. I think that's why they put stairs down. <laughs> um, and pretty much that like ruined him for a long time. He was in a hospital for a very long time. Yeah, but that part of his life marked a very, it was very impactful for him because he had time to set back and he had time to praise God through his affliction. And he realized a lot of things through that, that period of his life. Um, so after that, he ended up moving to Ireland with his wife. Um, they owned a, owned a farm there, a lot of acres, and it was a very wholesome time. His, his sons would say that it was a very wholesome time as a family together. Um, but they only stayed there for five years. Um, so during his stay in Ireland, he would always travel back and forth through America on, on ship all the time. And um, he would always preach in, um, there's this place, place, a ministry called Bethany Fellowship. It was in York, Pennsylvania. And he would always go to worldwide evangel evangelization crusade conferences up there. Um, there's a guy named Norman Grubb. He pretty much talked to Leonard and he's like, you should move to America because your ministry here is, you're having more ministry opportunities here than in Great Britain. Um, so the president of the Bethany Fellowship pretty much invited uh, Leonard to stay on campus, their, their fellowship thing. The Bethany Fellowship, it was like a ministry organization for missions. They pretty much sent out missions and supported them. Um, so he went there. I don't got a time. Um, so he arrived in, they arrived in America in 1958, him along with his wife and his three sons. I'm not going, not going to go into too much detail about his family, but he, he was married. He had a wife, three sons. They all were believers. They all have their own, they all had their own ministries. They went around the world, all that type of stuff. Um, so that's kind of sub, sub, subsetting. Um, he would preach through a lot of conferences while in America. He would go all over the northwest states of America, and he would go all into Canada as well. Um, in 1960, he embarked in a, a five-month evangelism crusade type thing through um, Australia, Fiji, New Zealand, New Guinea, Singapore, Lebanon, Israel, Thailand, and various other countries in Western Europe. Um, so it was pretty much over 20 cities in 20 countries on five continents. They would speak at churches and mission stations among among the tribes around in those regions. So his ministry extended even further than just America. He went all over the world pretty much. Um, he ended up leaving Bethany Fellowship and joined David Wilkerson. You guys know David Wilkerson? No? Okay. He's a pretty big guy, I think. <laughs> uh, he ended up joining him and his team as a, a staff in his Teen Challenge place in New York where he, would, he preached widely, he wrote a lot, he uh, edited their magazine, he would teach the staff, he would minister pretty much to the staff that way. Um, so then that was in New York, they ended up moving to New York. Um, then he ended up leaving Teen, Teen Challenge again, well, after serving there for a few years. Um, a Christian businessman offered him a house in Illinois of, in Rockford. Um, he left in good terms with all the ministries that he was in, so it wasn't like he just abruptly left. Um, after Teen Challenge, he moved, he moved a lot. He moved to so many places. He moved to Rockford, Illinois, then he moved to Bahamas, then he moved to Louisiana, and then to Texas, and to, to another town in Texas, so where he pretty much passed away in Texas. Um, 
His life consisted of a life on the move all the time for the gospel. He impacted thousands wherever he went. Uh, and he was the type of guy that you either loved him or you hated him. There's, there's no in-between with the, with the man. Um, and he, he has a quote, Many pastors criticize me for taking the gospel so seriously, but do they really think that on Judgment Day, Christ will chastise me saying, Leonard, you took me too serious. So, um, he really didn't. He was gospel. That's what, that's what he was. That's what his life marked. Um, he ended up dying in Texas in 1994. And on his tombstone, he has a quote. And it says, still convicting. It's been convicting me ever since I've been reading the book. Are the things that you're living for worth Christ dying for? Yeah. Think about that. Um, so Leonard had many passions in his life. I think the one that impacted me the most and impacted most people was his theology of prayer, what he thought of prayer. Um, he has some, I'll give you guys a couple quotes for him on prayer. No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. The pulpit can be a shop window to display one's talents. The prayer closet allows no showing off. And uh, another quote, the weakest and smallest meeting in the church is a prayer meeting. If you want to know how popular the church is, go on Sunday morning. If you want to know how popular the preacher is, go on Sunday night. If you want to know how popular God is, go to the prayer meeting. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, so he would, so I took a lot of information out of this book, and I have another brother in Alabama. Uh, he goes to a Baptist theological seminary there, and he wrote on Leonard Ravenhill, so a lot of the information that I'm pulling is from him as well. Um, he pretty much said that the prayer meeting is the Cinderella of the church, and he later stated that it is, this handmaid of the Lord is unloved and unwooed. Um, and as, as I stated earlier, Len, for the prayer meeting for Leonard Ravenhill was something that he experienced from his very birth. His grandmother, his mother going to prayer meetings with his father, it all impacted his life. Um, so it, it was something that he experienced every single day of his life. It was something that impacted him greatly. Um, so it's really no surprise, honestly, if you really think about it, that he's very passionate about it. Um, so probably the most notable uh, expression of this testimony was during his ministry in Texas in 1979, where he pretty much started Friday, Friday night prayer meetings. Um, he had over 500 weekly prayer meetings that took place. These gather, gatherings were considered an awesome event with, event with words like inspiring, convicting, challenging, rich, moving, stirring, heavenly. These are the words that were used to describe the prayer meetings. Uh, pretty much individual, indiv individual families, members, they would travel for hours to go to these prayer meetings. They would, about 15 hours, some people said they traveled, just to go to these prayer meetings. Um, they lasted for years, all the way to the end of his life. Um, it was the zeal of the church, the people that were around him, the, the, the people who were actually coming, that inspired him to persevere to the very end with those prayer meetings. Um, he had a, um, his theology of the pr corporate prayer, uh, Leonard Ravenhill was convinced that God was most glorified in his church when they were gathered together in prayer. Um, he was, one of the points was that he was very convicted that the Bible 
prescribed prayer meetings. Um, Acts 1, 12 to 14, that is when the Spirit of God, um, after the ascension of the Lord, the early church gathered for a prayer meeting. Um, when they were chosen and replacing apostle, they were found in a prayer meeting. Um, at Pentecost, they were found in a prayer meeting. So pretty much to say it in another way, if Raven, Raven, Ravenhill would argue that if a local church does not have a prayer meeting, then they don't believe the Bible. That's, that's how radical he was. For him, the Bible prescribed prayer meetings, so have prayer meetings. Um, he recognized that God's glory was displayed through the church's dependence upon him. They would, prayer meeting was a place where people came, they would pray, they would uh, confess their sins, they would confess their dependency upon God. Um, So that's, that's one of the things he des- decided, desired the most for a church, to be in prayer meetings. Um, Raven, Ravenhill would say, Poverty stricken as the church is today in many ways, she is stricken most here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers, but few agonizers, many players and payers, but few prayers, many singers, few clingers, lots of pastors, few wrestlers, many fears, few tears, much fashion, little passion, Many interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. You guys see where the poem part comes from in the snarky remarks? Uh, I love that quote. It's an awesome one. Um, he also believed that prayer meetings would impact younger generations. They would learn the Christian walk through older believers that were there. Um, they would see the older believers crying out to God, relying on God for their needs. They would see... They would see the core, unadulterated Christianity without without all its masks, without all of its masks, and they would learn also how to pray here. You impacted the younger generations this, this, the same way that he was as a kid, and he also believed that it helped with sanctification. Um, so that's one of his things that he was passionate about: prayer, and he was very passionate about revival. But I don't have time to talk about the revival. Um, so he was a Methodist, right? He was heavily impacted by John Wesley, the 18th century English um, Methodism. Um, he had a very wide knowledge of books. He had a very big library. It was told that you would always find Leonard pretty much with a book. Um, he, and it, was, it wasn't like, you know, he just read books and he upset him aside. He, people would come in his office and be like, hey, Leonard, what's what's that book over there? He's like, ah, and he would give a summary of it because he actually knew what he said. He, he read the first Fox's book of martyrs. He wrote, read C.S. Lewis. He, he read literally Jonathan Edwards. He knew, he knew all the reformers. He read, he, read, he read all the books. It wasn't like he was stuck in his one camp with, with blinds and, and not paying attention to anything else going around. He was, he read A.W. Pink. He read the list goes on. John Owens, Thomas Manton, John Flavel, Abraham Cooper, Arthur Pink, John Newton, J.C. Ryle, Charles Hodge, A.T. Robertson, Alfred, I can't say that. So anyways, pretty much what, he, he wasn't stuck in his own camp. He, he, was, he preached at Reformed Baptist circles. He preached at Pentecostal circles. He pre- preached Wesleyan, Methodist. I don't know if he preached at Pre- Presbyterian. They probably would have let him, but um, so he read widely, deeply, 
and he retained a lot of the information that he read. Um, another thing that he was very passionate about was hymns. If you, if you guys are interested in him and you guys want to go listen to a sermon of him, by him, he, he quotes hymns like, he just pulls it out from somewhere in the back of his head and he just quotes it verbatim. Um, for him, he, he's, he's seen a lot of deep theology in it, deep love. Uh, he's seen the walk that Christians that were very seasoned in their walk with the Lord. Well, they, he pretty much seen that hymns, psalms, singing psalms is good, but hymns are very important too because these Christians that wrote these hymns, they've been through stuff. They've been through their walk as Christians. And uh, he thought it was very important to always constantly sing hymns. And if you guys remember about his grandmother, she remembered pretty much the Methodist book, um, the whole entire Methodist hymnal book. So his, his young life, his mother, his grandmother, and his father, if you guys look into it, kind of look into it, his mother and his grandmother, big on prayer, big on hymns. Leonard Ravenhill, big on prayer, big on books. Same with his father, big on prayer. Leonard Hill, big on prayer. Prayer. So the, the impact that we have on the young people nowadays is, can be very big. And um, impacted Leonard Ravenhill really, really big. And that concludes my Sunday school lesson. Any questions? Nothing, Bob? I didn't write on it, so. Oh. <laughs> no, you can go ahead. Uh, yeah. Okay, what Mrs. Zandy asked for those watching live stream is what kind of prayer meetings did they have? Um, his Friday night prayer meeting, um, pretty much what they did was they would all gather together they would, uh, Leonard Ravenhill would open the prayer, pretty much set the tone, what kind, what, how the prayer is going to be. <laughs> it was a very fiery prayer, too, so everybody was afraid to pray after him because they felt they would, couldn't compare to him. Um, and then there was a guy named Keith Green. Anybody know Keith Green? Keith Green was there. They, Keith Green and him had a, uh, they, their lines in life crossed. Yeah. Keith Green would open with playing the piano, singing hymns, about 30 minutes, and then they would start praying, taking requests, what they pray for, mi mission field, or whatever the, whatever the topic was, and then they would start praying. Prayers would last to like midnight, and they would have sweet fellowship after that. Any more questions? I can, I can kind of touch up on revival. Um, he was big on revival. Like, uh, all his... All, pretty much like all, pretty much all his sermons are on revival. Um, he traveled a lot. He, that's what he, that's what he was concerned about. The reason actually why he left uh, Bethany Fellowship was because he wanted the ministry pretty much to go to the direction of uh, being about revival, being about prayer. But they they seen they didn't see that way. So pretty much that's why he left. Um, a lot of his messages were about revival. He saw a great need for it in our day. He he. He's seen the shallowness of Christianity in his day, and we still have that same shallowness now. Um, he really didn't care what kind of credentials you had. He would ask you, what is your life like with God? What is, what is your prayer life? What is, what, how is your obedience towards God? That's, 
that's what he was passionate about. He didn't care if you went to seminary here. He actually called them cemeteries. <laughs> so, um, so he was a man of revival. He always saw great need for it. As you can see in his young life, <clears throat> he would go into the woods to pray for revival. Um, they would always have prayer meetings. I, I feel like prayer meetings and revival, they, they went hand in hand together, kind of merged into one. Um, he was always passionate about revival. So to get revival in our lives, in our society, we can't do it on our own. We have to depend upon God. The way you depend upon God is by going to him in prayer, praying to him. Um, so I feel like those two went hand in hand together. Yeah. Um, did you know if he did? I, I don't think he did. I mean, he wasn't. Oh, okay. Nathan, Mr. Nathan Bragg, he asked, uh, what was Leonard's view on uh, the Methodist camp, if they were leaning liberal or not? Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> but what I do know is he moved all over the place, so I don't think he really had time to stick into one denomination. Um, which is kind of a, I think he need to be part of a local church, but considering what his mission was in life, he was an itinerary preacher, so he, that's, that's what he was passionate about. But I'm sure he would be against it. Um, he, was, he was actually, like I said, if you, you, with Leonard, there was no in-between. You either loved him or you hated him. And there was a lot of liberal, liberal churches that he would go preach at, and people would pretty much kick him out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because he was passionate about holiness, and you start preaching holiness at churches, people think that's legalism. And so they hated him for it. Yeah. Okay, so Leonard, not Leonard, sorry, Eugene. <laughs> Eugene asked... <laughs> Um, are there any takeaways that uh, we can take uh, for our outreach program that we have at our Trinity? Um, yes, a lot. We need to be in prayer. <laughs> because... He, I, I'm going to start walking from my house to Greenwood. <laughs> um, I, after reading his theology on prayer, because... It's a thick book. <laughs> I get convicted because I don't pray like that in my life. Um, it feels like I don't depend upon God. I depend upon my own strength. So what I'm getting convicted over is we need to pray more. <laughs> we need to have prayer meetings. We need to have in the, our individual lives as in our prayers. We need to pray more as well. Pray for revival. Pray that God would anoint us with this Holy Spirit, that we would that we would have a life of abundance, pretty much our spiritual life would be so, so great, so grand, that it outpours and we impact other people because judgment starts at the church of God. That's one of the things that Leonard would say as well. If we don't examine ourselves, then how can we go out there? Another thing about his prayer, his theology of prayer, he's like, if you're going to be living a life of sin, how can you, just, how can you think about going to God and praying? He's seen that holiness and answers to prayer went hand in hand. You can't, 
You can't just live your life of sin and then go into prayer and, pray and expect results. You're not. God answered the prayers of the righteous. So he, that's what he, he sought to. Um, another conviction thing I had was he was 16 when he was out there street preaching. I don't street preach. You just street preach. So be in prayer. Yeah. Okay, um, so Mr. Chuck asked what was his view of the church, um, what he did with, after his crusades. So his ministry in the International uh, Holiness Ministry and the Calvary Holiness Ministry, they would set up you know, tents, have revivals, have people coming. They would have one of their men stay back. Um, pretty much they would start, start up the church, and uh, after the church got well established, they would continue going. So they set up a bunch of churches. Leonard Ravenhill, for 16 years, he, he pastored several churches. Um, he viewed the church as very important. So it wasn't like he was just out there going to tent to tent and not doing anything else for the, those people. Um, a lot of his crusades in America that he had, they were pretty much a bunch of churches from that area would gather together. That, that, that's how it was. So. Um, I, don't, I don't think it was like the modern-day uh, Pentecostal revivals that they have where they just go to towns, and then that's it. They would actually care for the sheep because he had a loving heart for the children of God. Um, so, One more question. Anybody? I, since there are no more questions, I highly recommend you guys read this book. Um, it's titled In Light of Eternity. And one thing that Leonard was very passionate about was living in light of the, in light of eternity. He would say, he would say, to uh, for God to stamp eternity on his eyes as well. Um, he said we, pretty much had the saying that we're so earthly minded that. We know heavenly good. So. Well, he, he was he. I would I would honestly classify him as a prophet. He wouldn't say that of himself, but. The way his messages were of the church, the church in general, he was very convicting to the church. He um, saw pretty much, he, he said that our prosperity as a church is doing a lot more harm than good for us. Um, and that concludes my message. Thank you, guys. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for blessing us, Lord, to being able to gather here. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the ability to pray to you. Thank you for the mediator that you give, have given us. Lord, I ask that um, this Lord's Day, this service would be good, that we would pay attention, Lord, that we would uh, examine ourselves, examine our lives, Lord, that we would uh, worship you uh, in area, every area of our lives. May your name be praised. Amen.